Well, we're dealing with spiritual warfare. Uh, you might call it demonology. Uh, we looked at the angels during Christmas, and uh, some came to me and said, man, I've really enjoyed those studies, but I would love to hear about demons and, and uh, fallen angels. Uh, we don't hear that preached on maybe very often. And so we, uh, we thought we'd start the year. It's, I've been here almost 40 years, and this is the first time that I've ever started a new year preaching on demonology, if you know what I mean. But uh, today we're going to look at the certainty of God's judgment, and uh, we see it in regards to even angels. And so let's go ahead and turn, if you would please, to 2 Peter chapter 4, or chapter 2 rather, verses 4 through 9, and uh, we will look at this today, and I think it will enlighten you uh, some in regards to demons. Next week, we will look at demon possession, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward uh, to that study with you. But look at verse 4, if you would, of Second Peter chapter 2. It says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, this is not Gehenna, this is Tartarus, a uh, place of departed spirits. The Bible says death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. So this is not the lake of fire. This is a place for departed spirits. And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. As you know, he led his family into worldliness down into Sodom and lost his family. It says, verse 8, For that righteous man dwelleth among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul, from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now folks, there is a lot of people that do not want to hear the future judgment even touched on. And they will even mock and say, well, you're a, fire, uh, a brimstone, fire and brimstone preacher if you preach uh, even on this. But the Bible has much to say about the future judgment. In fact, I believe there's more about the future judgment in the Bible than there is on heaven. Uh, Peter was very serious, very, very serious, when he wrote what he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And uh, any man is a fool who doesn't understand that God will not only judge false teachers, which is mainly what he's addressing here, and angels, but he will judge all those who refuse to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, some say, well, and I've heard this over the years, God is too loving. God is too gracious. God is too merciful. God is too kind. God is too forgiving to pour out his judgment on sinful mankind. But if you believe your Bible, if you have a high view of Scripture, you know you better believe it. Uh, Peter says, if God didn't spare the angels that sinned, in verse 4, 
And he didn't spare the ancient world because of their wickedness, but drowned them except for eight people in the ark, verse 5. And if he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah when they sinned, verse 6, then why in the world do you think false teachers and Christ-rejectors are going to be spared on the day of judgment? And that's Peter's point. What he does is he takes three classic illustrations out of the book of Genesis, and they are the precedent for the final judgment on the liars and deceivers and false prophets and false teachers and on everybody who follow them, who follows them and rejects Christ. If God judged angels, more elevated beings than we are, at least right now, the day will come when we will be elevated above them and we will judge them. We found that in our study of angels in last week. If God judged them, when they sin, why do men think that they can escape the judgment of God? And that is one of the great, great realities of Scripture that is really mysterious in many ways, the fact that angels sinned to begin with. I mean, we don't know how exactly that happened, but we know that God created the angels. They're created beings like us, and that they were before Him in heaven, in holiness, in worshiping in Him, surrounding His throne, adoring Him, and yet they, some of them rebelled. Found in Ezekiel chapter 28, found in Isaiah chapter 14. And the highest of them all was a created angel by the name of Lucifer. And he decided that he wanted to be like God. He wasn't content to be lower than God. He wanted to be equal with God. In fact, he wanted to be God, and so he led a rebellion against God. So let us take a closer look at this passage today and you may learn some things you've never heard before, okay? First of all, active fallen angels on earth. We found last week that we're in a battle and there are angels on earth doing the work of Satan himself. According to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4, we find that one-third of all the holy angels bought into Lucifer's rebellion and pride and were lifted up and set themselves against God, one-third. Now, we know that there's 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands, it says in Revelation, of good angels, so you get up in the billions of angels there. So uh, one-third of the angels fell. They rebelled against the Holy Creator. And it was the sin of pride and rebellion. And so myriads and myriads, possibly millions, if not billions, of these beings fell and were doomed to damnation. And today we know them as fallen angels, we know them as demons, we know them as evil spirits, and, and we've dealt with some of this over the years. And uh, maybe some of you have dealt with people that seem to have an evil spirit. As we study this passage, an important question arises. Are all the demons in hell committed into pits uh, of darkness, as it says in verse 4, or are some loose? And the answer is, 
there are fallen angels, demons in two different places. There are some, the majority I believe are on earth, but some are in Tartarus, the place of departed spirits called hell here in verse 4. Uh, they're all over the place. Millions, if not billions, are running around loose on earth. Uh, so uh, there are many, millions of Satan doing his bidding. Uh, and maybe even some here or here today trying to hinder the worship of our Lord Jesus. And so whatever sin he's talking about here can, can't be the original fall of angels. Because when they fell from heaven, they were not incarcerated in hell, in Tartarus, and committed permanently to pits of darkness, waiting for the final judgment, as it says in verse 4. In fact, we found last week in Ephesians 6.12 that, that it says that you and I as believers are wrestling. Our battle is not with each other. Now, sometimes Satan influences people, sometimes even possesses people, but our battle is not with each other. Our battle is with demons, the demonic world. Uh, and we find that, uh, of course, in Ephesians 6.12, it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness in high places, which can't even have to do with the government and politics in high places. Ephesians 6 shows that Satan has a demonic army under his control. And they're very active in our world today. Very active. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, and he's very highly respected, uh, a writer of yesteryears. He says, there are thousands, perhaps millions of evil spirits. Uh, in his classic book, Demons in the World Today, Dr. Merrill F. Unger of Dallas Theological Seminary showed how demonic forces work today. And, and listen to the chapter headings, the titles of the chapters. Demons in Spiritism, Demons in Magic, Demons in Demon Possession, Demons in False Religion. And he has several other titles. A great book uh, written uh, by Unger on the subject of demons. And so there are demons, we've got to realize, that are not in Tartarus, that are not in this pit of darkness, in chains, that are, are loose today. So they're in two different places. So that brings us to the second point, and that is inactive fallen angels in Tartarus, in hell. So look again at chapter 2, uh, 2 Peter 2, 4. It says, And if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment uh, when they're thrown into the lake of fire. There are demons that are active on earth today, and, and as we said, we're doing battle with them. But there is another group of demons that are chained in hell, according to the Scripture. Uh, the demons spoken of in our text did more than the ones we encounter and wrestle with on a daily basis. The ones we wrestle with, the main thing they did, they rebelled against God and he kicked Lucifer and these angels out of heaven. John MacArthur correctly said this, and I quote, he says, they entered men who promiscuously cohabited with women. This produced, he said, a race of people who were so demonized that God sent the great flood 
to destroy them all. And he's referring to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. He says, for that crime, this group of demons was cast to hell, Tartarus, and chained in darkness. So they cohabitated with women, produced a wicked race, and God destroyed. He saw the wickedness of man's heart was only evil continually, and he sent the universal flood. Dr. Kenneth Wiest, a great scholar, said this, Peter is speaking of the place in the unseen world where these fallen angels are imprisoned until the great white throne judgment when they will be cast into the lake of fire. Dr. Henry M. Morris, who wrote a great deal about the unseen spirit world and demonology, said this. He says, a certain segment of the devil's angels not only followed Satan in his rebellion against God, but also attempted to corrupt all mankind by taking physical possession of the daughters of men found in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, and, and we see the judgment of them in 2 Peter 2, 4. Uh, he says they have been confined to the lowest and darkest compartment of hell awaiting the final judgment. That's Henry and Mars. Listen to Jude. Peter's not the only one that wrote about, it's almost like they had had a conversation and both went and wrote about this. Listen to Jude chapter, oh, it doesn't have a chapter, verses 6 and 7. It says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept, it says, in eternal chains and gloomy darkness and judgment, it says, of the great day. Listen to verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. That's found in the book of Jude. So these angels who were already fallen, apparently, they were already demons, but they moved into some behavior that really took them out of the sphere of their normal life, and which would be their active evil work on earth as Satan's minions, as his cohorts. For some reason, God removed these angels from Satan's army on earth and threw them into Tartarus, the place of departed spirits, which is one of the words, again, for hell, and, and we need to remember that. It's not, it's not the lake of fire. That's the final judgment. It, it's, it's not the Greek word Gehenna. Again, it's the word Tartarus. Uh, and uh, Revelation, listen, in that great scripture, verse 10, it lets us know that the lake of fire is the final judgment for Satan and the rest of his demons. And it also lets us know in chapter 20, verse 15, for all really who are not found written in the book of life for those who reject Christ. This is the, a temporary place called Tartarus. Now, what did these fallen angels do? What caused them to be taken even from uh, these demons from their work on earth and be cast into Tartarus? Well, verse 7 of Jude tells us these, uh, these fallen angels did this. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah it says, and the cities around them, since they in the same way give themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, and are set as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. 
So, whatever they did, we know based on the scripture that it was very much like what Sodom and Gomorrah did. So what did they do? Well, in the same way as these indulged in what? In gross immorality. What was the gross immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah? It was homosexuality. Uh, And it says they went after what kind of flesh? Strange flesh. So these particular fallen angels went beyond their sphere of being and limitations. And that's what happened in Sodom, men after men, women after women, strange flesh. These demons, these fallen angels, did the same thing. Like the, Sodom, like the men of Sodom, it tells us that they lusted. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Do you remember that passage, the men lusting after the angels first? And angels appeared in a male form so that they could appear to, to men. And a male body, that's usually what they would, how they would appear to, to people whenever they appear, especially in that section. And the homosexuals of Sodom and Gomorrah, it says, lusted after these angels. And that's why God destroyed that place. But listen carefully. As the men of Sodom lusted and went after the angels, so the angels, some of them, lusted and went after men. And that's the comparison that we have in Jude, and that's the comparison we have here in Second in Peter. God, he says, spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness and reserved them unto judgment found in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. So the logic here is that since God punishes these fallen angels, he will also judge fallen men and women who are not redeemed by the Lord Jesus. That, that is the logic of Peter. That is the logic of Jude. This is God's word. We can't think that we can get by, that this thing of hell is just some kind of fairy tale uh, uh, or or some kind of uh, false belief. If we believe the Bible, we have to believe in the lake of fire. And that brings me to the third point, and that is active lost sinners are warned. I believe this is put in the Bible to warn active lost sinners. In 2 Peter 2.4, if God did not Spare the fallen angels, verse 4. Nor the old world in Noah's day, in sin a universal flood, verse 5. Nor the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, in verse 6. Do you think, why would you think that he would spare you if you reject Christ and live for sin, self, and Satan? And at the end of verse 9, he lets us know, he says, and to reserve the unjust speaking of human beings, until the day of judgment to be punished. Notice that these angels who sinned, they were once angels in heaven, these fallen angels, these demons, these spirits. They were once, they once lived in heaven itself. They had no contact with evil. Their friends were spirit saints, or spirits like themselves. They were Perfect spirits, you might say. 
like themselves. And yet they were capable of choosing sin, and they chose sin. At least they were capable. They had a free will then. Later, it seems that they're locked in evil as the good angels are locked in goodness. Evil entered into the hearts of these angels. Envy, pride, rebellion entered them, and they were cast, the Bible says, down to the earth, and those that sinned and cohabitated with mankind received further judgment by being cast into chains in outer darkness, Tartarus, never to be free again. The warning is this. You may be a child of godly parents. Your mom and dad may have been a deacon, a dad may have been a deacon, your mother a Sunday school teacher, or your dad even a preacher. You may grow up in the church. You may even make a profession of faith and it not be the real deal and end up in the lake of fire with Satan and all of his army. Revelation 20 verse 15 says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I didn't make that up. That is Bible. And did you know, let me, let me tell you some history. Did you know that Hitler was confirmed in the church and baptized? Did you know that? And then Hitler went to a music school to learn to sing in the choir. Did you know that Stalin went to seminary and studied for the ministry? Communist, brutal. Did you know that? Did you know that Charles Darwin studied the Bible and had a bachelor's degree in theology? In fact, that was the only degree that he had. And yet, thousands and if not millions of intelligent people today believe these wild and, and fantastic theories from a man whose only education was a bachelor's degree in theology. Think of the untold harm these men have done and did to the human race. Think of the madness and sin that led them to destroy uncounted human lives in history. And still today. Vincent van Gogh was the son of a minister. Vincent van Gogh himself took Spurgeon's printed sermons and preached them in various chapels in London, England. Uh, yet Van Gogh became addicted to absinthe. Uh, and he went insane from the drug. And he ended up committing suicide. The poet Emily Dickinson attended a school that experienced great revival. All of her friends were converted to Jesus Christ. But Emily Dickinson refused to trust Christ. She ended up in her life as a recluse who never left her room. She finally sunk into madness and despair. You may say, well, nothing will happen to me like that. Are you so sure? The Bible says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The Bible says you had better make your calling and election sure. You'd better really examine your heart and life and make sure that your faith is the real deal, that it's the real thing, because faith that doesn't work is dead. 
I read about an officer in India who had a tamed leopard. And from the time it was a kitten, he raised this leopard. And he went around the house like a cat, and, and everyone played with the leopard. But the man was sitting in his chair asleep one day. And that leopard licked his hand. And the skin was broken. And that leopard got a taste of blood. And from that moment on, it was no longer content to be in the house. It, it, it kept trying desperately to get out of the house. And, and, it, and it was let out, and it rushed forth to kill, and it ran away into the jungle. That leopard was tamed, but it was still a leopard. It was his nature to, to love to kill. And so a man may seem to be a Christian. He may profess, not possess, but profess to know God, but in his works deny the Lord, Titus 1.16. If that be the case, his heart is unchanged, and he's still a fallen man, an unregenerate man. The taste of sin will soon reveal the animal in him. The thin crust of goodness will disappear, and it soon disappears under temptation. You may look good, but unless you are truly converted to Jesus Christ, you are still capable of the worst evil imaginable. I have known men who went into the ministry, preached wonderful sermons, and then went back into sin of the worst of kind. The Bible says, but it happened unto them, according to the true proverb. The dog, it says, is returned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. You know, uh, friends, a dog is still a dog, and a swine is still a swine. You can take an old hog, and you can feed him real good, and you can give him a bath, and, and you can squirt cologne on him, and you can enter him in a hog contest, and he can win a blue ribbon and have it tied around his neck. But let me tell you, as soon as you let him outside, he's going to head for the nearest mud hole because that is the nature of a hog. And that's what unsaved, unregenerate, professing Christians do. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would still be with us. They put on this outward coat of religion for a while. But inside, it's dark. They're as dark as they can be. In time, they show their true colors by habitually making a habit of practicing sin. The warning is this, God spared not the angels that sinned. Why should, we, why should he spare unconverted men and women, the unconverted sons of Adam? I mean, unless you experience true conversion to Christ, be sure that God's wrath will be poured out upon you. God will cast down to the place of torment, prepared for the devil and his angels, all those who are not truly converted to Christ. God will punish those who live and die in their sins without Christ. God, spare not the angels that sin, and he will spare you if you continue in your unconverted state. That is the warning given in our text. Now, I have one other point I want to deal with before I 
before we close. And that is, active lost sinners can be redeemed, but fallen angels cannot. The angels that sin, they were given up by God. There is no grace, there is no mercy for fallen angels, none. But a lost sinner can be redeemed. God is able to save all lost sinners to the uttermost. By God's grace, redeemed men and women will make it to heaven, not by their works, but by grace alone. Those sinful angels that have fallen, whether they be in hell, Tartarus, or active still on earth, they have no other opportunity like us. They, they never had the Holy Spirit to convict them and draw them to Jesus. They never uh, had a, a Savior to die in their place. His blood was never made available to them for the cleansing of sin. They never had the gospel preached to them. In fact, the word indicates they don't even really fully understand the gospel and the cross and all of that. But I'll tell you, it amazes me that God would offer pardon and salvation to wicked men and women, but salvation was never offered to the fallen angels. They were given up immediately, and some of them are already chained in darkness until the last judgment, where they will be thrown into the lake of fire. God gave the angels no second chance. God did not wait for many years before he judged them for their sin. When they sinned, they were immediately cut off for all eternity. Angels, demons. I ask you maybe, I feel that maybe most everybody here may be regenerated. But if you're not, how long have you lived in sin? Some of you may have remained unconverted for many years. You have rejected Christ for a long time. And even though you have heard the gospel preached in pulpits for years and maybe even here for years, you still have never repented and by faith received Christ. God's patience with you is amazing. He spared not the angels that sinned, but he spared you so far. Why is this? When they failed, they, they had no future chance of salvation. The angels never had a sacrifice. There was no dying son of God that paid for their sin debt. There was no sin-cleansing blood for them. There was no preacher to proclaim the gospel to them. And yet I have called you to repent and believe on Christ hundreds if not thousands of times in this ministry. I have called on you to trust Christ and repent and experience eternal life. There is no pardon. There is no hope for demons. Aren't you glad you're a human being? And yet there is pardon and hope for you. He doesn't beg you to repent. He commands you to do or die. Repent or else. Jesus is not up in heaven weeping because you haven't repented. In fact, repentance is granted. But he commands you to repent. 
Jesus says to you, come unto me. Come to me. He never gave that invitation to the fallen angels. But he gives it to you. Come to me. Trust me. Receive me. Believe on me. And I will cleanse you from your sin by my blood. That is the amazing love. You know, Charles Wesley wrote about that love when he wrote, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, just die for me? I've never figured it out why he loved me. But I bow humbly before him, and I'm eternally grateful because I don't deserve it. No matter what sin you've committed, if you're under conviction of the Holy Spirit and you repent of your sin and by faith believe that Jesus died for you, he makes you clean by his blood. No matter what sins you have done or even thought of doing, Jesus is able to pardon you. His blood can make the vilest sinner clean. The vilest sinner. Regardless of what you're into. What Jesus did for the thief on the cross, beside him who was, was not able to have any human works at all, it has to be of grace he can do for you. God commands you to repent and trust his Son as Lord and Savior. The Spirit and the, the bride. This is the, almost the last verse of the Bible. It's found in Revelation twenty two seventeen. And there's only about 22, 21 and 22 verses in Revelation 22. But it says, the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. He opens the ears by his Spirit. And let him that is a thirst, he creates the thirst for Jesus, come. He says, let him. The bride say, come. Let him that heareth come. Let him that is a thirst come. If you're here without Christ today, we, we want you to repent of your sin and, and come to Jesus and be saved. That would thrill our hearts if you've never truly repented and accepted Christ. We do not say this to fallen angels, but I can say it to you. In fact, that's part of the Great Commission. We're to spread the gospel. Come to Jesus with all your doubts. Come to Jesus with all your fears. Come to Jesus with all your sin. For we're all sinners. I love Ephesians 2.13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. One day Napoleon, and I close with this, one day Napoleon was standing before his army after he was defeated at Waterloo. And he was trying to cover his losses and see what his next move would be. Napoleon realized that his quest for world domination was practically over. He had a, a map of the world uh, on the wall. And on that map, the British Isles was marked in red. Only place on that map marked in red. And Napoleon angrily said to his generals, as he pointed to the red marked on that map, we're not, if for that red spot, we would have conquered the world. And I can imagine old Satan gathering his hordes after Jesus' death on Calvary 
from Golgotha's brow. And I can imagine all of the demon spirits and generals of hell listening as Satan pointed to the blood-drenched slopes of Calvary and said, were it not for that red spot, we would have conquered the world. But because of what Jesus has done for us, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, Romans 8, 37. And it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that you can have full confidence that sin and Satan have been conquered in your life. The blood of Christ is the very power of God. It is by his death and resurrection that we have hope of salvation at all. So remember that by the power of Christ's blood, you have all the victory that you need. Victory over demons. Victory over sin's dead. In the name of Jesus Christ, let us pray. Heavenly Father, with this study on spiritual warfare, we know Satan wants to keep us blinded to the gospel. He has blinded the eyes of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. So Lord, we pray for any here today that might be without Christ. I don't know the hearts of people, but Lord, you do. You know those that are yours. You say, I know my sheep, and they hear my voice, and they follow me. Lord, I know we all fail at times. But Lord, true believers do not make a habit of practicing sin. Lord, I just pray that as we've studied about demons today and how they have no second chance, that we'll remember your grace and mercy and that we'll have thankful hearts. And that if there are any here lost, they will realize that they are commanded to repent and that if they will truly repent and by faith receive Christ, they can have eternal life. Lord, work in hearts today. Thank you for your word. Lord, we believe your word with all of our heart and being. Lord, may we never water down your truths to accommodate our sinful culture, but may we always stand on the truths of the word of God. And may we, until our dying day, may we proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.